My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at the Parks Church, and um, so glad to see you, to welcome you here. If you have not joined us before in worship, I just want to um, really just issue a word of welcome. Just follow Kyle in that, um, welcoming you, and I'm so glad that you're here. We are um, in a study in the book of Ephesians. And so we will be continuing that as uh, Rusty read for us in uh, chapter 2, beginning in chapter 2, and uh, really one of the most powerful um, passages of Scripture that we have. Uh, obviously, all of God's Word is um, true, is breathed, uh, his, his life is in it, and so there's, um, you know, you, you get in trouble when you start trying to weigh out which part of God's Word might be more important than the other, um, but just the, the, what I would say is the intensity of this Word. And the amount of truth that is packed into these just seven verses that we read is an amazing part of Scripture. There's so much um, uh, truth here. There's so much joy. There's so much of the gospel put into these words. Paul, it is as if he pressed in everything that we might need to know to make it through this life into seven verses. And so, if you're here this morning, I praise the Lord that you are here, and I want you to be aware that you're here because God ordained in His sovereignty that you would be here to be reminded and to maybe to hear this good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, as I uh, watched a lot of football yesterday, um, one of my favorite commercial series that I've quoted sometimes before and attributed to the wrong marketer, um, some of you have been around a while, you'll know this, but it, it, you know, that, that theme of it's okay is not okay, or just okay is not good enough, um, I don't get it exactly right, but I, I saw that commercial, one of my favorite commercials is the, the gentleman that's the okay translator, and he's negotiating a deal between these two uh, groups of people, and uh, as he uh, mistranslates that they need something into, they need a hug, one of the other gentlemen walks over and gives the, 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 the group a hug, and he thinks to himself, I'm doing this just great. But you know, the reality is, is that so often we do just settle for okay, I mean, how many of us in our life, as again, as we sort of weigh the balance of how things are so often can be, every now and again we're on the pinnacle of life and everything is going great and those moments are fantastic, but we all know those are pretty fleeting. On the other side of the coin, there's a lot of hardships. It's pretty regular and consistent that every day or every couple of days we're faced with something. We hear bad news, we get a bad report, something challenging comes, and it's, it, it's negative and broken. And, and so all of the hardships, we kind of would just say, you know what, I would, if I could just sort of stay in the middle, if I could just be okay all the time, we'd settle for that, right? That's, we just want to just sort of make it. But what we have before us today in God's Word in Ephesians chapter 2, it reminds us that okay is not what Jesus came to purchase for us. And we don't have to live just okay. That yes, even in the midst of those dark periods, of that darkness that presses in around us that we just sang about, that we can be reminded of his mercy and his grace and his kindness. And through those trials, even in the midst of those trials and in that pain and suffering, we can worship God, we can rejoice, and we can be more than just okay. 
Now, as a brief recap, if you haven't been with us over the last few weeks, we worked our way through Ephesians chapter 1. And again, I want to encourage you to get online, go to our podcast. You can find that at theparkschurchmelissa.com, and you can kind of catch up in this. But in the first, in the previous section near the end of chapter 1, 15 and following that we preached on for the last couple of weeks, Paul is uh, essentially giving us a prayer for the Ephesian church, that they would know what they have in Christ that they would really comprehend and understand what it is that Christ came to purchase for them. And he says that they would have, understand the hope that they have, the inheritance that is coming for them, and ultimately the power of Christ at work in their lives. And so he ends this prayer at the, as the, at the tail end. He essentially is exalting the greatness of Christ. In verse 20 and 21, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over the things to the church, all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, putting Jesus above everything that he is the authority, and he exalts him by lifting him up. You know, we have an ottoman in our family room that when we sit down and gather, that's what I put my feet on. And what Paul is saying there at the end of Ephesians chapter 1 is that everything in this world, all of the powers that you might see going on around you, everything that seems to hold all the keys will one day be like that ottoman that I put my feet on. Sometimes with dirty shoes. Rarely. I get in trouble for that. That's what the Jesus will put his feet, rest his feet on all of the things that we see around us. All of those things that so often catch our eye and lead us into worshiping those things, even those good things will become like a footstool for Jesus. And so at the end of chapter 1, he then begins to turn And beginning in chapter 2, as it says, and you, Paul switches and transitions from talking about this or sort of elevating this prayer and exalting Christ and speaking of all that we have in Christ and all of who Christ is. And he says, but what about you? What about us specifically? This is what he addresses in chapter 2. What about you and I? Well, as you heard when Rusty read the first few verses, Verses 1 through 3 tell us that it's a lot worse than you think. Again, so many of us would just settle for trying to kind of make our way in the middle of this life, but that's not possible. That's not the reality. And so in verses 1 through 3, he starts where we all start, in death. He takes us to the valley, the valley of the shadow of death. And he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead. We have to come to grips with this reality. Again, so often we think of ourselves when we just sort of imagine our lives. And for those of us who are Christians today, if you're in Christ, you claim the name of Christ, this is who you were. We have to realize this. We have to think back and know that prior to Christ, without Christ, we were dead. Of course, Sometimes, like a child would ask, well, how could we be dead? Because as I look out across this room, I see living people, people walking around, moving about. We feel very much alive. And yet, 
what Scripture says, and you were dead. He doesn't say, and you were not behaving well, and you were misguided, and you didn't understand, and you didn't fill in the blank, something other than, no, you were dead, the seriousness of that death and who we were. See, no, we do move around. We seem to have life. But clearly what Paul is speaking of here is he's speaking in spiritual terms. Our bodies seem to be animated. They're alive. But spiritually, prior to Christ, even though this is all of who Christ is, verses chapter 1, verses 19, 20, and 21, you were not like him. You were not alive. You were not with power. You did not have hope. You were dead. That's who you were. Dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. We read this, and it seems to sometimes just fall on our ears and has no power. But we need to realize that we were, although we might have moved around and looked alive, we were just like a corpse, lifeless, with no ability to do anything about it. No ability to respond to anything going around, on around us. No matter how big or powerful that might have been, those things that were happening around us prior to our knowing Christ, we were completely dead. I traveled to Israel last year, and one of the stops that we went to was the Dead Sea. And we arrived at the Dead Sea, and it is like this. There's life going on all around the Dead Sea. Just not too far off, even though there's a lot of desert lands, there's vineyards and gardens not too far away. On the Dead Sea, there's people floating and having fun and having like days at the beach. But that sea is dead. Although there is life going on around it, the sea is completely dead. There is no life in it. And that's what's happening. That's who we were. We were dead. And we had no ears to hear the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what Paul is addressing here. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And what did you do when you were dead? You acted like dead people would. You didn't follow the Holy Spirit of God. You didn't have any ears to hear the Holy Spirit of God. You couldn't open up his word and receive a, a message from him because... We follow the course of this world. We follow the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That's who we were, spiritually dead. And so what do we do? We followed the course of this world, it says. This world has a value system. Have you noticed, have you ever just thought about what the world values in contrast to the way that God values things, just in, a, in an economic sense, what the world thinks of as, as wise and as good and as, as uh, virtuous compared to the things of God and all of the things that he lifts up? They're different. But when we were dead in our trespasses, what we did is we followed the world's value system. We lived completely contrary you just think about the news, almost every bit of news, everything we read on social media, all of it, it speaks against the things that God values. It denigrates, and that's what we followed. That was our guide. 
The world's value system prior to us knowing Christ was our value system. So guess what? Fear of man ruled the day. I want to be liked. I want to be accepted. I want to be, you know, a part of the group. I want to be in. And whatever I have to do to do that, even if I have to mock the things of God, if I have to scorn the things of God, if I have to look at those things and say, no, I don't want any of that because I want to be a part of this. I want to be lifted up. I want to be promoted. Whatever those things are, that's the way we lived. Students, those of you who claim the name of Christ, I would challenge you with this. If you mock the things of God, if the things of God are boring to you, if the way of the world is more in line with who you want to be as you see all of those things, if that's what you're chasing after, I would caution you and I would say, listen closely, dear friends. I love you enough to warn you. You're following the prince of the world and that's what dead people do. People who've been made alive don't do that. We follow the Lord, but that's who we were. So we follow the course of this world, and then he says, we follow the prince of the power of the air. Satan is described in scriptures, the prince of this world, John 12, 31, or the prince of demons, Matthew 9, 34. The God of this age in 2 Corinthians 4. He's the one that is at work making this world seem to taste so good. All of the things that this world has to offer, leading us in. I want you to imagine it this way, a local restaurant serving up, just this is in the news, a local restaurant serving up fabulous meals. We go in and we enjoy the meal at the restaurant, and we say to ourselves, more than likely, this tastes great. We might even tell our friends, man, I had an amazing meal at such and such. It was awesome. And then we get home, and we find ourselves deeply ill because there was a salmonella outbreak hidden within the things that were there, or the food that we ate, the things that we consumed. It was there. Ultimately, what tasted so good was meant to kill us. This is what the enemy does. He doesn't very often, it's very rare that he positions evil and says, hey, look at this evil. This surely would be a better way for you to follow. No, what he does is he tempts us and he says, look at this. Look how sweet it is. Look how good it tastes. Go back to the garden. What did he do in the garden? He lifted up to Adam and Eve and he says, look at this. Look how good it must taste. Surely if God loved you, he wouldn't hold this back from you. If God loved you, he wouldn't hold that relationship back from you. If God loved you, he wouldn't hold that promotion and that financial win back from you. If God loved you, so on and so forth, we think, and the the prince of the air is just tempting us. And prior to our knowing Christ, when we were dead people, not alive, this is who we followed. This is the way we lived our lives. And all the while, we're taking in, we're ingesting this food that, yes, it tastes sweet immediately, but it is ultimately meant to kill us, and it will. Third, he says that we follow the course of this world. We follow the prince of the power of the air. And what does he say? We live in the passion of our flesh. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. As spiritually dead people, we're influenced for sure by the devil, the prince of the air. But he's also saying, don't blame everything on the devil. Sometimes it comes from within. It's our own flesh that tempts us and that leads us astray. Why? Because we're sinful, broken people. We are, like Adam, fallen, depraved. 
He says here, children of wrath. I'm going to get to that in a moment. But essentially, he says to us that we do that all the time. How often we think to ourselves, oh, man, the enemy's at work in this. And sometimes we just need to say, Ryan's at work in this. That's my name, by the way, if you missed that earlier. And I'm not talking about meddling in your life. I'm talking about in my own life. Sometimes it's not the enemy at work. It's my own flesh, my own pride, my own desires. Satan, yes, he is at work orchestrating events and trying to tempt us with these things that look sweet to the, in, in the world's eyes. But ultimately, to satisfy our own flesh, we just say, I want what I want. How often? Just what we desire is what becomes priority. I want to do this. I want to have that. And I don't care what God has to say about it. I don't care what it might mean to the saints of God. I don't care how it could diminish or hurt the kingdom of God and his movement. I want what I want. That's our flesh at work. And that is what we lived in. When we were dead in our trespasses, we carried out the desires of the body and the mind. Notice he doesn't leave one without the other. Of course, when we think about the desires of the body, we think very often about the sensual things of the body and lust and all of the things that come with the flesh. But he doesn't leave it just in the body. He also goes to the mind, the, the way that we think about things, how we see the world. We were dead, and so we looked on the world as dead people do. And he says there that we were by nature children of wrath. That is a, it's an interesting phrase. Why does he use this children of wrath. Well, Jesus said it this way. Whoever believes in the Son, this is John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but what? But the wrath of God remains on him. Here's what we need to understand. This is what Paul is getting at for the church in Ephesus and ultimately for us always. We need to realize the true condition that we were once in. As dead people, not made alive yet in Christ, we were children of wrath. We deserved the wrath of God. He would be just to condemn us. God's wrath against sin was due to us. That's what we owned. The wages of sin is death. What we earned in response to our lives, because we were dead people who followed the passions of the flesh, who listened and followed the prince of the power of the air, who followed the course of this world, we were due the wrath of God. There's nothing about God's judgment. And so often the world gets this wrong. God doesn't judge. Oh, yes, he does. That's a lie from the enemy. God is just. And therefore, in his just, in his justice, he judges and must condemn sin. There's nothing unloving or unkind about God looking upon dead people living according to the powers of their flesh and condemning them as sinners. That's who we were. Think of it this way. We don't find it unjust at all when we hear about a brutal murder and the criminal that is accused, tried, and found guilty of that crime being held to justice. We call that justice. And when we rightly understand who we are as dead people, prior to Christ, again, I'm speaking to our prior to knowing the Lord, how we lived and all of the ways that we followed, we know that we would also be just. God would be just to condemn us. 
Biblical scholars sometimes note these three verses that Paul summarizes essentially in, chapter, in verses 1 through 3, all of Romans, chapters 1 through 3. In Romans, Paul goes a lot deeper than he does in these three verses. That's why I say there's so much truth compacted just in these three verses. But I'd encourage you, perhaps maybe this week would be a good time to go and reread Romans 1 through 3. The reality is, is that all of us, he says it here and he says it more Broadly, in Romans 1 through 3, all of us are tainted by sin. We see the effects of sin. It causes harm. Sometimes, yes, it causes greater harm in certain situations than in others, but we cannot deny that every single one of us is marked by sin. In Romans 3, verses 10 and 11, Paul says it this way, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands no one seeks for God. That's the reality. That's who we were. And you were dead in the trespasses in which you once walked. There's no one who is alive apart from Christ. We need to understand that is the reality. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, I know people who don't know Christ who do not profess to be Christians, and they're pretty good people. They seem all right. You know what they seem? They seem okay. But there's something so much better than just okay. And the reality is, is that they're not okay. There are no good people. We are all dead in our trespasses. Apart from Christ, we are nothing. And so we need to remember that, yes, there are people that the image of God, we all are created in the image of God. And so periodically, even those of us who might not claim to be Christians, who don't call on the name of Christ, who have not been made alive in him, yes, periodically you'll see good deeds and things of kindness. And that's the image of God, that God's common grace at work in those people. But that doesn't change who they are in their identity. It doesn't change who we are. The nature of who we are is that we are dead apart from Christ. And every now and again, some goodness because of our, the image bearer and whose image we do bear pops through. Some people think that mankind is mostly good. Other people think that mankind just needs a little bit of a help, just kind of needs some encouragement to make it along through this life. But the, the Bible tells us the truth. The Bible tells us that we are dead, spiritually dead, completely hopeless. Now, if I close right there, you would think, I am never coming back to that church again, because <laughs> that's a real beatdown. But here's the deal, friends. As we turn to verse 4, and we get to experience the joy of the hope of God, if we don't fully understand who we were, and for some of us, perhaps in this room, don't fully understand today who you are. Spiritually dead, unable to come to life, to raise yourself up, you won't grasp the magnitude and the power and the joy of verse 4 until you really understand it. And so that's why I spent so much time focusing on That's why Paul puts so much emphasis on these verses. We have to realize who we were apart from Christ. My mom, why do I have hope? 
She is physically dead. Her body is in the ground. But she is fully alive because of her soul is the only thing that is eternal. Too many of us, we live all of our lives centered around what does our flesh feel like? What do we do with our flesh? And the reality is our flesh is going to go in the ground, be burned. The only thing that lasts is the spiritual self. And so we have to understand, we have to grasp and realize that without Christ, we are nothing. There's no one that has the power as they lay in the casket to say to themselves, sit up, be alive again. None of us have that capacity. That's the future. That's where we're headed. That's where these bodies are headed. But spiritually, God says, I have the power to make you alive, to make you truly alive. And that's where he turns in verse 4. Yes, it is bleak and it is dark, and we need to understand and spend time realizing who we were. But then we get to verse 4, which says, but God. But God. All of those things that I just said are completely true. But God has the power to change it all. But God, we were dead, but we have been made alive. We have been resurrected. Death, which once ruled our lives, has been overcome with resurrection power. This is the immeasurable power that Paul is referencing if we go back to 19 and 20. What does he pray for the Ephesian church back in verses 19 and 20? He says, I want you to understand the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. And do you want to know what that immeasurable power that he wants the church to fully grasp? He wants us to grasp the power that is the power to make us alive, to resurrect us, even though, yes, we were dead, and all of those things were true of us, Jesus has the power to make us alive. There's no one who has the power to lift our heads, as I said, from our caskets. That power belongs to God alone. And now, just as when we were dead, we were totally ruled by the world, Satan, and our flesh, there's now no part of our lives that isn't touched by the resurrection power of God. We once followed the ways of the world, our flesh, the prince of the air, and now we are able to follow Christ. We're able to follow God. We are made fully alive. And guess what he says of us? We're made alive and seated with Christ. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Do you see anything in that verse that talks about how you clean yourself up? Do you see anything in that verse that talks about getting to church enough times? Do you see anything in that verse that talks about anything that we have the power to do within our flesh? There's nothing there. It's a rhetorical question. But God, it's all about who God is. It's all about his character. But God being rich in mercy because of how much he loves you, because of all that he sees in your life, he wants to, he is making you alive. It's all based on who he is. And guess what? Even when, verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, some of you are here, and you're not a follower of Christ. You are dead, spiritually dead. And I pray with all of my heart that the Holy Spirit of God is speaking. Don't listen to me. Listen to the Spirit of God. 
that the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to your heart and is revealing this to be true. You're acknowledging, yes, what God has said in his word is true. And he's making you alive in this very moment, perhaps. He's filling you with his Holy Spirit. It's not because of who you are. It's not because you decided to wake up and show up here this morning. It's because of how much God loves you. It's because of his mercy. It's because of his grace. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were still dead, he made us alive. And that's why Paul pauses here. Some of your Bibles might have a dash. Made us alive together with Christ. And then he just sort of stops. It's as if Paul stops as he's writing this letter and he says, by grace you have been saved. By grace. He wants to emphasize it isn't about your activity. It isn't about what you did to call on God to respond to you. No, it is fully his grace on you that has called you to life, that has raised you up. He's going he's to expound upon that thought. It's like he writes that, and then he says, okay, I'm going to come back to that in a moment, but i got to finish this one. So next week you're going to hear about verse 8. We'll keep going on this thought. But it's by grace you have been saved, not what you did. You were still dead in your trespasses when the Holy Spirit of God came and hit your life and says, you're alive now, and I raise you up with Christ. And where is he going to place us? He raised us up, verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I don't want you to miss this. Go back to verse 20. What does he say in chapter 1, verse 20? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And where did he put Christ? And seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. That is where Jesus sits today. Jesus is with God at the right hand of the Father, with him in the heavenly places. And what does he say about us when we are raised up with him? He seats us with him in the heavenly places. In all of the power and all of the glory and all of those things that Jesus is experiencing, he says, I'm going to raise you up and you are going to be there with him. We are united with Christ in his resurrection. That's why some of you might pick up on this when we baptize. We quote Romans 6.4 and we say, buried with Christ in union to his death. We are already dead and so we go into the grave. But just like Christ, not because of what we have done, but because of who he is, we are raised to life. We are given new life. We're made alive. And we're seated with him. And so yes, we continue to walk through this life, but he tells us that we are, when we are made alive, that we become co-heirs with Christ. The inheritance that he asked that we would know of, the enlightenment that, the, that our eyes would have, our hearts would have eyes to see the things of him, all of that happens when we are made alive. Paul in one through, in chapter 1, 15 and following, he talks about who Christ is, and then he comes to us and he says, you know what, you were dead, you had no hope, there was nothing good coming for you, but because of God's mercy and grace, he has transformed you from dead people to alive people, and so now all that I just said to you about who Jesus is, this is available to you, church, this is who you are in Christ, you have union with Christ. Now, 
you're asking yourself, just like you asked previously. You thought, well, you say they were dead people, but I see them kind of wandering around doing a few good things. Now you're telling me that we're alive people, that we've been made alive, and that we live in the power of Christ, and his Holy Spirit is with us. But you just talked about that you're a sinner. Yep, I am. And yes, I did. In the same way that, some of, that God's image on us shines through the darkness in our flesh, as we who have been made alive in Christ, our flesh, we still are at war. And this is that both end of the Christian life. Today, we still sit and we have to battle the darkness. We have to push back against it. But we have the power to do so, not because it's our power, but because of the Holy Spirit at work within us. That's the power that is. But yes, we do have to wage war with our flesh because our flesh still continues to plague us. The prince of the air still tempts us. It doesn't change our nature of now who we are. In the same way that we were dead, and although we might have done a few good things, it didn't change the nature of who we are, who we were as dead people. Today, those of us who have been made alive in Christ, it doesn't change who we are. When we sin, we repent, and we are even brought to conviction of that sin. We're, we're, We're made aware of the reality of our sin, all because of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Life comes to us. I told you the story of visiting the Dead Sea. One of the prophecies that Ezekiel gives in 47 verse 10 is he talks about this. He says, fishermen will stand beside the sea. Fishermen from Engedi to Engliam, it will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. Ezekiel is prophesying about the future, the new heavens and the new earth, when God reigns and we are with him in union. You know what he's speaking about there? He's speaking about the Dead Sea. He says in his vision he saw the Dead Sea teeming with life. We were once dead in our trespasses. We were children of wrath. In in God's grace and mercy, because of his kindness to us, he made us alive. And now we have life in us, all because of who he is. If you hear about Christ and all that he's done for us, and that doesn't lead you to, to, to worship If you think about the comparison that I just gave us, one through three, who we once were, dead in our sins, and now who we are in Christ, made alive with all of the future and the hope that we have, if that doesn't cause your heart, if there's not something in your spirit that is sort of bubbling up saying, praise God, that leads you to worship, I would caution you and I would say, just as I said a few moments ago, listen to the Holy Spirit. Perhaps he's saying to you, You were dead. You are dead. But I've come today to make you alive. Don't don't push that back. Listen to the Spirit of God. Allow the Spirit of God to move in your heart and in your soul. You know, I played golf this week, not very well. Y'all didn't even laugh at that. (laughs) It's a good thing. The seriousness of the moment, perhaps, is resting on us. But, you know, in golf, we like mulligans. We want to redo. So we hit the shot and it doesn't go well for us, and so we say, let me have a redo. Let me have a mulligan. Let me try it again. And I think so often in life, that's what we try and do. 
We go throughout our day. Today, things are going to happen to us, and you're going to lay your head on your pillow, and you're going to say to yourself, man, I wish I had a mulligan on that. I wish I could rehab that conversation. I wish I could do this differently. But in the big things of life, in the reality of who we are, God does not give us a mulligan. We don't need a mulligan because we were dead, but in Christ we have been made alive. We have hope. We have joy. And there is nothing about that old state, that old body, that, yeah, this old body sometimes reminds me of who I once was. But we have been made alive in Christ. And so as we close and we sing to Jesus, as we worship him for this truth, for his grace and his mercy, the fact that we have been loved in spite of all that we do, in spite of our trespasses, I would just ask you to ask yourself, really ask yourself, and I don't care how long you've been coming to this church or any other church, maybe perhaps before you even stand to sing, you just need to sit in your chair and you need to ask the Lord, am I dead Or have you made me alive? Am I alive in Christ? And for some, today might be that day of salvation where you think back and you recognize for the first time that, yes, I was dead in my trespasses. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, I have been made alive today. And we know we've been made alive because the things of God look better to us than all of the things that this world has to offer to us. And so I just, call, I just ask you to just consider that thought. Perhaps the Holy Spirit of God has been speaking to you. Ask yourself, what captures your attention most? Is it something this world has to offer you? Some accolade? Some achievement? Parents, some achievement for your kids is what you're really most after rather than their eternal life, or even your own? Ask yourself, what captures my heart? Dead people answer that question one way. People who've been made alive in Christ answer it another way. Not perfectly, still battling the flesh, but we answer it differently. And I would pray that God would move in our hearts today and that perhaps someone in this room would be made alive Our elders, as we stand and sing, our elders are going to be spaced out around the room. Pat is going to be in the back corner, and Frank will be in this back corner. Kyle and I will kind of be up here in these front corners. And as we sing, perhaps you want to come forward and just confess, pray. You need help with this. There's no better time than to go have a conversation with one of our elders. We'd love to have that conversation with you. But for those of us who've been made alive in Christ, we're going to sing to Jesus. We're going to worship him. Not because we're good enough, not because we're just okay, but because we have been made alive to the praise of his glorious grace. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word, your word that is true, your word that is, just reminds us of who we are. And Lord Jesus, we do praise you for your mercy, for your kindness to us. And I ask in Jesus' name that your spirit, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you wash over this congregation this morning? 
Some of us just need to be reminded that we've been made alive and we've allowed the prince of the air to sort of tempt us away from who we are, to, be, to sort of live like we once did as dead people. But there are others of us that until this moment we're dead. But we plead by your power would be made alive. Would you move in our hearts? Would you remove anything that would distract us from hearing from you, holy God? You are sovereign over every molecule in this room. Let us hear from you. And for those of us who have been made alive, let us not take for granted that radical transformation that you achieved for us by your grace, because of your mercy, because of your love for us. Help that to capture our hearts. Help that to be everything to us. And because of that, help us to live for you, for your glory and for your kingdom. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Parks Church of Melissa podcast. We meet at 1030 Sunday mornings at Melissa Middle School, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. The Parks Church, for the city, about a person.